Welcome to the Cup for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay, and I'm joined by Eric Stearns. And today we're digging into my message from Sunday, which was all about the greatest commandment. The scribe comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what is first of all? And Jesus says to love God and love neighbor. So we're going to dig into what those things exactly mean and how Jesus got himself into this situation. So let's get into it. Sounds good. So I wanted to start with what may be a dumb question. No. But who are the scribes? Who are the Pharisees? Who are the Sadducees? Like, mm -hmm. explain the Jewish hierarchy a little <laughs> bit to me. Yeah. So, and, and I know it's hard and it's kind of confusing and really hard to track. Um, but basically, you have the temple, the high priest is like, you know, the chief of all okay. is the high priest. Underneath the high priest, you have other people, other priest people and other non-clergy-ish people. You have the Pharisees and you have the Sadducees. And the Pharisees are more concerned with the law and following the Torah, following the oral law, following just anything that helps to organize the people of God in following God. The Sadducees are more involved in the temple, keeping the temple holy, keeping the temple pure, and making sure that the people of God are worshiping God appropriately. Under that, you have the scribes, whose job is to teach the law to the people. Um, the scribes were the teachers of the law, uh, teachers of the law, but they did not have the authority. If like they saw Eric, if you they, if they saw you working on the Sabbath, which is against the law, they could not just say, "Hey, Eric, you know, shape up, buddy," or or make you go to the temple and do a sacrifice to atone for the sin of mm -hmm. working on the on the working on the Sabbath. The scribes would have to go to the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees that made up the Sanhedrin and say, I saw Eric doing this, take it away, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, and also one of the things that complicates things too is that the, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees had some different beliefs as well. Um, like the Sadducees believed in the, that the Torah was very important and that the oral law of God was very important. The Sadducees weren't as sold on that. Um, and then with the big difference that comes up in Scripture, um, the, in the Scripture that we're talking about today, uh, is that the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. They have absolutely no concept of that in their belief system. There is no such thing as the resurrection. They're also not very cool on angels, and the Pharisees are. Um, and so when the teacher of the law in the Scripture overhears Jesus, he is debating with the Sadducees around the resurrection. The Sadducees have come to Jesus and they have asked him about, you know, if a guy or if a woman has a husband and the husband dies and she remarries, who will she be married to in this resurrection if there is one? And Jesus basically says that that's not going to be a problem because the resurrection is about the stuff of God and not, you know, our human relationships. And that, you know, and so the teacher of the law is so impressed by Jesus in Mark's telling of the gospel. Mm -hmm. The teacher of the law wants Jesus to weigh in, back to the hierarchy question, that under mm -hmm. the teachers of the law are like the rabbis, um, that, you know, rabbis kind of give their opinion and, and, uh, on, on things that regarding the law when they're asked. And so like the, the teacher of the law is absolutely doing the right thing by going to Jesus the rabbi and saying, hey, here's this question about the law we talk about all the time as, as teachers of the law. 
what is the greatest commandment? And as a rabbi, Jesus is ready to give an answer to that. And he's, he quotes from the law. He quotes mm-hmm. from Deuteronomy. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then quoting from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's kind of how the hierarchy worked. So this all happens later in the gospel. And so our scripture from Sunday, this all happens later in the gospel. And so the tides are turning against Jesus. And the, everything in the hierarchy is looking for a way to get Jesus to get enough evidence, because they, as Jewish people that believe in not killing, kind of mm-hmm. part of the law too, the big ones, the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. they do not have the power to put anybody to death. The Romans don't have that problem. They're really, they, they, they like to put people to death. Mm-hmm. Like crucifixion was an art by the time Jesus got crucified. And so they needed to have enough evidence to turn over to the Romans to enact capital punishment against Jesus. So they're, le- they're looking for opportunities all of the time throughout his ministry. Like what precedes our scripture from Sunday with the teacher of the law is a series of questions, all designed to trap Jesus in some kind of loop where they can say, okay, you're breaking this law. You're breaking this part of our law, and it's heinous enough, it's serious enough to take you into and turn you over to the Romans. So they ask about taxes because the currency of that time had the image of the emperor on it. And the emperor saw himself as God. And you worshiped God by paying your taxes. And so they said to him, they said to Jesus, do we need to pay our taxes? And this is where Jesus gives us, render unto Caesar what's Caesar, and render unto God what's God's. Basically saying, no, Caesar isn't an emperor, but yet you still have to follow the laws of of where you are, and you have to pay taxes. Mm Mm-hmm. And, the, they, and they were hoping that, they would, that he would just say no. Mm-hmm. They were hoping that he would just say no and, just, and blaspheme against the emperor being God and you, you, you need to worship God in this way, worship that God in this way. And so they could just turn him over and just finally have him trapped. But Jesus gets out of that one. And so the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection, ask this question about the resurrection as a way of just kind of further driving the wedge and trying to trap Jesus into saying something again that's blasphemous. In Matthew and Luke's Gospels, this word or this question from the teacher of the law is in that same vein, in that same attitude and spirit of like, and then both Matthew and Luke point this out, that the teacher of the law asks this to trick Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? Because if you say anything to that question, there is no right answer to that question mm-hmm. except for the answer that Jesus gave. There is no right answer. So he's going to contradict the law somewhere by putting part of the law over and above another part of the law. And so he picks the Shema, this ancient prayer, and he picks Leviticus. And he gets at the heart of everything that the law stands for. The law is there to draw people to God, and the law is there to help people love others. And there are very specific, as you read through the law, which I highly recommend you do from Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, um, you can see that all the laws are there for that purpose, or for those purposes. And so Jesus nails the answer to this question, 
And then the button on our scripture from Sunday was that no one dared to ask him any more questions. The questions fell silent. They finally realized that this attempt was not going to be how they finally get enough to get people on the other side of Jesus. Okay, so let's maybe talk about this greatest commandment. Yeah. Like, what does it mean? Yeah. In, in reality and in application, Right. what does it mean? Yeah, and that is something that I definitely did not dig into on Sunday, um, is like the, uh, the hows of what this actually looks like. And so Jesus gives these words to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And heart is first, and I think that that's important. Because in that world, the heart was the seat of all thought and decision-making. Like in our world, in our, you know, we think about our brain being the seat of intellect. Like, you know, you're told to use your head, or at least I'm told to use my head a lot, but not in that world. In the, in the, in the world that Jesus is living in, the heart is the seat of all decision-making. The heart is where every, you know, it, it's, it's where everything comes from. The heart is the thing that guides all decisions. And so everything that we decide to do should be towards the love of God. We should love the Lord our God with our entire heart. So that's, that's where that one comes from. Let's keep going. Like, okay. Let's go through all three of them. Yeah. Or the, there are three remaining. Yep. So, uh, so heart and then soul. Um, soul, I mean, for us, we think of like our immortal soul that's going to live forever after us. But like the soul was the essence of the self in that world. Like everything that makes us who we are, our personality, our, you know, our, our habits and our quirks, our, our, our hobbies, everything that we do, everything that makes us who we are, you know, our views on things, our whatever, our, the, you know, just the things that are classically Eric or the things that are classically Clay or the things that are classically you are all part of your spirit and that it should all still be yearning to the love of God. The love of the mind, if, it, if the mind isn't there for decision-making in that world, what's the mind there for, right? Mm -hmm. That's the question. So the, the love of God with our mind means our intellectual pursuit. Like we should intellectually be pursuing knowledge about God in order to love God more. Mm -hmm. Like my degrees are academically in theology and philosophy. Like my ha I have a degree that's basically in the Bible. Every USF student takes intro to the Bible. As a theology major, I had to take an Old Testament elective, which I did on wisdom literature, so the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job. Um, and then I had to take a New Testament elective, which I took on the letters of Paul. Um, and then I had to take, well, I chose to take Greek um, to study the New Testament in the original language. Like these are all very intellectual things. Like I can have intellectual conversations on the doctrine of dot, dot, dot because of my degree, because I am pursuing the love of God with my mind. The challenge of that is to let our head knowledge sink down into our actual lives. And so the pursuit of knowledge about God is important, but it also has to affect things. We can't just hold this head knowledge and, and know these things if we're going to love the Lord our God with, our, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have to have this, but we also have to then let that knowledge seep down into the rest of us, you know, to, to, to make a, a, a perfect picture of loving the Lord with our mind. 
And then the last one is strength, and that's still the same as it would be today. Strength is just the doing of the things, mm-hmm. of finding ways to physically serve, to physically love, to physically love God, to do things that, you know, better our understanding of, of who God is and physically doing those things. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, mm-hmm. which is hard. That is, yes, that is a challenge. Much harder than you think it should be. Yes, definitely. The challenge is, the, you know, obviously, um, again, Jesus in, in Luke's gospel gets a very snarky teacher of the law that says, okay, well, yeah, well, who's my neighbor? And that's mm-hmm. when Jesus launches into the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, like, the punchline of it is that the Samaritan is the neighbor. Mm-hmm. And the guy, or, you know, Jesus asks at the end of the story, who was a neighbor to this, you know, person that got beaten left on the side of the road and the the jewish i mean the jews and samaritans don't get along at all and so even the guy that jesus asked the question to cannot bring himself to say the samaritan he says the one who showed him mercy he does not say it's the samaritan he cannot bring himself to do it because their division is that deep and that personal which we'll get into it in another time um, but but these people who understand this better than the rest of us do, right? Even struggle with that. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely. The definition of neighbor is much bigger than we want it to be, mm-hmm. because it always includes the person we don't want. We don't want it to include, mm-hmm. and we're still called to love them as ourselves. Which you know, in our modern snarky minds, we're just like, well, I don't love myself, so I don't have to love my neighbor. Mm-hmm. That's not how that works, right? <laughs> you know. When you talked about in the sermon, you talked about, you know, what's most important. Mm -hmm. You talked about sports and you talked about jobs and you talked about whatever. So my question is, in your opinion, Mm -hmm. do you feel like there is room for those things to, to be, quote unquote, the most important? I think that they can be important. Right. Yeah. Not, not the most important. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like there is room that that is where you spend essentially the most of your time? In my day, I spend 20 minutes in the Bible. Mm-hmm. The rest of my day, I do not. Right. So is there still room for that approach to our lives? Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. What do you think? I, I would answer yes to that. Like, even though I'm a pastor... And, like, I don't spend my entire day in Bible study. Mm-hmm. Like, even though I'm a pastor, I'm still a dad, and I'm still a husband, and I'm still other things as well. And, like, even if I wasn't a pastor, I would still, I would hope, <laughs> I would hope that I would still have a healthy enough devotion life mm-hmm. where I was spending 20 minutes in Scripture. And then, you know, using that as a way of saying, you know, this is going to define the rest of my day. Mm-hmm. This is going to define the rest of my life. Like, you, by all accounts, as an engineer, I have no earthly clue what you do in your office all day. But I'm guessing it's important stuff. My wife would disagree with anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, same, but still. Like, I can only imagine that by how you live the rest of your life, you are going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not going to just turn it off. Right. 
even though you're not going to be actively engaged in an activity that helps you love the Lord your God with all your mind, you're not going to shut the rest of it off. You're not going to say, okay, that's my Jesus time, and now I can do whatever I want to from here on out. Mm -hmm. That's not how you live. So as long as, I mean, that's how I always felt. As long as I don't treat it like a checkbox. Yes. Yep. Yep. You know, have that be, yeah, have that be your compass. Have that. Yeah. The, the, the reason why you do the things that you do. Yes. Yes. And that's how I've, uh, that's how I've always felt. I've always just wanted to ask the question. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I think it's a great question. And like, if we're talking about this being our biggest priority and the most important thing to us, because it's supposed to be, and I think I did a sufficient job of challenging us to think about it this week. Like there is a way to be of so much kingdom value that you're of no earthly good. You can be so, so like, especially as a the- when I was a theology major, you could spend so much time studying academically these things about God, but having them not affect the rest of your life at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you, because we are called by, G- we're called, in the words of the Apostle Paul, we're to be not of this world, but in this world. We have to care about people around us. We have to, you know, our, our interactions with other people have to be guided by our Christian faith, but we have to have those interactions with other people. Mm-hmm. We still have to serve the world. We are still called to be the body of Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to do tangible things, to make things better for people. And that should all be guided by our faith, by our love of God and by our love of neighbor. And so it's all about, it's all about how, we, how we live our faith. Mm-hmm. What do we want to talk about next week? Yeah, so we're continuing in this message series. Um, and next week, the question gets at kind of our fundamental vulnerabilities of asking, am I accepted? Uh, so often with people that are outside of the church, I have these conversations that are just like, well, I, was, I went to a church one time and I was made to feel unwelcome. Or I don't feel worthy of being there because, you know, it's the house of God and who am I? Mm-hmm. The, Every, and it's not just in the church. It's everywhere in our life. We have this fundamental fear of not fitting in. Mm-hmm. We have this fundamental fear of not being good enough or right enough or whatever enough to be where we are. And that can be true with God, too. It can be true, you know, in the, in the eyes of Jesus. The question is, am I accepted? And so to talk about that, we're going to be talking about the woman caught in adultery in John 8 which is a very, very interesting story where I'm taking it on Sunday is how Jesus interacts with that woman versus how everyone else interacts with that woman. Because in this story, she is nothing but a prop until she meets Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus validates her humanity. Jesus validates her value. Jesus validates who she is as a person and says... Go and sin no more. Change things. You are accepted in my presence. You are welcome to be in my presence. And that is where we all end up to. But yet we are called to go and sin no more. We are called to be changed and challenged by the presence of Jesus in our lives. And so, yes, we are accepted. Um, to give away the answer, too. But, you know, I think we all mm-hmm. knew where that was going. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the answer is that Jesus accepts all of us. Jesus never leaves us unchanged. Sure. So that'll be what we unpack on Sunday. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's Cut for Time podcast. Join us again next week on Sunday at 10 a.m. and then back here for next week's podcast. 
Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.